This morning, we continue in our series, Body Language. We began uh, three weeks ago, a series studying through the letter of 1 Corinthians. And one of the things that I'll say often, our goal is not to just say we get through scripture. It's to say we get through a series or to get through a book. In fact, our intent is never just to say we read through scripture. Really, the intent is more to allow scripture to read through us, to read through our lives, to examine our lives. And that is something that's our approach, not just on Sundays, but it should be our approach in our daily life, in our devotional life, in our personal life, allowing not just to be able to go through and check the box that we read that day or to say we completed our devotional assignment for the day, but rather we allow God's scripture to examine and to expose our lives. And that might mean going at a slower pace in times, that might mean covering more sections at times, but the intent is always to allow God's word to read through and to examine uh, through our lives. Now, I remember back to middle school and high school days and having uh, English class, class on social studies and other classes that what times would give a, a writing assignment of sorts that would have to write perhaps an essay paper or a, some sort of report or a number of things. Um, in fact, I was talking with my kids about this and there was you know, times when in school when it would have to do uh, reports that it wasn't a matter of go Google it. It was a matter of go to the library and make copies of the encyclopedia or whatever was there. And I'm, I'm sure many here remember that. Um, but we'd have to do these reports. And I remember having specifically English teachers who would give a checklist of all the things that had to be included in the flow and the structure of the paper. In fact, as they read it, many times they would have a checklist they would attach to it at the end and they would go through and check off all the things that were included in uh, that paper to make sure that we had completed the assignment appropriately. And one of the things that they most often looked for was a thesis statement. A thesis statement, if you're not familiar with it, and, and, uh, is, is kind, of the, kind of the point of what's being said. It's the point, the main claim, or the main point of the essay, the research paper, and usually it's, it's in the, the opening paragraph. It's kind of just laid out, like this is our aim, this is what we're targeting, this is where we're trying to go. Um, it, it really is the main point of the writing, and I can remember a number of times that I just wanted to get through the writing assignment, and I would start writing, whether it be a short story or a number of things, and I would just start writing, and before long, I would end up with a few pages of just loosely, if not at all, connected information that really ended up being a lot of wasted time, a lot of wasted energy. I'd try to salvage what I did, but just trying to get through the project. And I'd have to realize to go back and kind of follow the teacher's instructions and to get to where I wanted, uh, where I needed to be. But when it comes to the letter in 1 Corinthians, uh, what Paul is addressing with the believers and some of the issues that we're gonna jump into uh, in, with the believers in the city of Corinth, he begins to point out many things to them that they're doing that are a waste of time and a waste of thinking that they've adapted from the culture around them on how to best tackle issues and to confront life. And while there's things that we're seeing played out in their life, it comes down to their thinking and their mindset. And he highlights for them that it's not only a waste of energy and time, but also was inconsistent with being a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's look together where we left off last week. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Still another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? 
I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanaeus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. I wanna draw your attention to verse 10 one more time, and it'll be on screen behind me, but verse number 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. This is Paul's thesis statement. This is Paul's point for really the next four chapters, the next several chapters he's highlighting. He says, this is the point. This is what we're trying to get to, that you, you agree to, together in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Now, it's, it's very easy, something that we can look at, we can read through what we've just read, and it's very easy to look at the verses and to come away thinking, well, the issue Paul's dealing with is division. He's dealing with people who are squabbling, people who are saying, well, I follow this person, I follow that person. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a better follower because I'm, I'm with Paul or I'm a better follower because I'm with this. And really the truth is while he's addressing issues, that's just the fruit of the issue. It's just the fruit of the issue. And so often in our lives, we get caught up on looking at the fruit, trying to deal with the fruit of the issues rather than getting to the root, to the source of the issue. And so Paul, while we could look at that and we could think the issue is division, that is the fruit of the issue. The issue that Paul addresses, the root issue, was their failure to remember that they were set apart for God. It was their failure to remember that they belonged to God. They were in Christ Jesus first and foremost. Earlier in, in verse two, can you go back to verse two for me? Earlier in verse two, I want you to see this. It says, to the church of God in Corinth. Notice they're not identified as the church in Corinth. They're identified as the church of God in Corinth. Where they were located was secondary to who they belonged to that their identity was in Jesus Christ. They, they belong to God through Jesus Christ and that, was, that is what is to shape everything and every place that they go. And that's a, a huge reminder for you and me as a follower of Jesus Christ and it specifically it comes to our minds and our mindsets is that whether you're living in State College or Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or California or wherever you might find yourself on the other side of the world, whether you're attending Penn State or State High or in an online school, whatever it is that you're attending, your first and foremost priority is not where you live, it's not where you're attending, it's not where you got your educations, all of those those things. Your first and foremost identity is always that you belong to the church of God, that your identity is rooted in who Jesus is and who he has identified for you to be. Your location is always secondary to the new identity that you have in Jesus Christ. And that is what the believers in Corinth were forgetting. And that was the root issue that was bringing about the fruit and all the other issues that they were dealing with. See, when it comes to the church in Corinth, they were allowing, the, and rather than allowing Christ to change Corinth, the church was allowing Corinth to change the church. And Paul reminded them, as he reminds us, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to be radically countercultural people living according to Jesus rather than according to the world. The church of Corinth should be a sobering reminder every single time that you and I gather and we read the letter of Corinth or we at home we read it. The letter to Corinth should be a reminder and serve as a sobering reminder to you and to me that we cannot be conforming to Christ and the culture at the same time. There is no way to be conforming to Christ and our culture at the same time. 
but that goes to lifestyle, in our thinking, in our community. See, the church in Corinth had taken its cues from the norm of the day. In the Greek world at this time, and Corinth especially being a very intellectual city, the, the approach to, to knowledge and to teaching at that time was to have a, a number of teachers and philosophers who would be out and open and available in teaching, and, and their goal was to get a number of followers, and people would identify themselves by which school of thought they, they followed. And the key thing that would happen was these speakers were so set on being eloquent and being known and having followers follow them that the priority was more on how they delivered their message than on the content of what they actually spoke. There was less emphasis on truth and more emphasis on delivery. And really this whole idea of, and, and school of thinking that we see in Corinth and really was in much of the Greek world is kind of a precursor to postmodernism that we deal with today. This idea of as long as it sounds good, as long as it feels good, as long as you can get a following and people to agree with you, it really doesn't matter if it stands opposite of any other form of truth. That's the idea of postmodernism really in some of its, its root forms. But the truth is the idea of postmodernism, just like the issues in Corinth, are not rooted in simply a school of thought, nor are they rooted in some person's idea or rejection of God, but rather it's rooted in a world system, an idea, a mindset. The Bible talks about it as the spirit of the world. Another phrase that it talks about it is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's this idea to replace God in everything, to become your own God, to become your own rule, to become your own, the own governor of your life, to let your life be the truth and what it is that you feel and you want and you, you allow that to dictate your life. And that background of what's happening in Corinth and how it connects with us today, as I said last week and the week before, the same spirit that drove Corinth is the same spirit that drives State College. It's the same spirit that drives the governments. It's the same spirit that drives the cultures. It's the same spirit that drives just about everything. It's a spirit of the world and the mindset that's away from Christ. And it's a reminder that it helps us see and understand the importance of keeping our focus upon Jesus Christ as a follower of him. That in everything we do, everything we are, everything that you are, every part of your life, the central piece of who you are, your, your identifying mark is that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. I want you to see this in verse 10 one more time. Can you put verse 10 back on the screen for me? He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I appeal to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're watching the last couple of weeks and rereading over the verses we've looked at, you'll notice that just in verse 10 alone, this is the 10th time that Paul has used the name Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus Christ in some way. 10 times in the first 10 verses. That his focus, what, what Paul is attempting to do and des desiring to do is to chisel into the minds of his believers that they are part of Christ's community. They are, their life is anchored in him. Who they are is anchored in who Christ is. That it becomes an entire shift in our identity. That it's not just about more information that we know, but it's about the application of what we know to be true about Jesus and the life that he breathes into us by his spirit and the lifestyle that he desires to flow out of that. It would be like if you've ever been in a house full of individuals, whether it be your family or a, you think of a family gathering on a special occasion, perhaps you're hosting family in for a graduation or for a holiday, and you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to get out the door to a special event or a special service, and you have more bodies needing to get ready than the bathrooms you have in the house. And you have someone who's in the bathroom just kind of doing their thing, and getting ready and you're standing at the door needing to get in and you gently knock and you say, hey, 
Don't forget, I still need to get in there and get ready. And there's a quick acknowledgement and then they keep going and then there's another knock. Hey, don't forget, I need to get in there and get ready. And you keep knocking and you keep knocking and saying, don't forget, I need to get in there and get ready as you're watching the clock and getting closer to the time that you need to leave. And what Paul is doing is he keeps knocking on the hearts of the believers in the Corinth and Corinth and saying, don't forget, your identity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your identity and everything you'll face in life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why later when you look in 1 Corinthians as he's dealing with authority issues and dealing with immorality and dealing with the single life and dealing with the married life and dealing with any number of the issues that we'll see, dealing with, with what's beneficial and what what's becomes an obstacle to other believers, that Paul continues to knock and knock and knock and say, don't forget, your first and foremost priority is your commitment to Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of commitment to your feeling. It's not a matter of commitment to what you desire. It's not a matter of all the other things that you would commit yourself to. Your first and foremost commitment is always to who you are in Jesus Christ. And that will shape every decision that you make after that. And friends, it's a reminder for you and for me this morning that our relationship with Jesus Christ is intended to be the baseline for everything. It's intended to be the baseline to everything in your life. That the impact of his love and his grace on the inside should be transforming and changing your life on the outside. Transforming and changing the things that are a part of your life in and every part of who you are. See, the truth is when we look at what Jesus talks about the gospel and, and what kingdom, what his life, what he calls believers to when they place their faith in him, What he highlights is the gospel is good news, but it's good news not just because it's the forgiveness of sin. Friends, that's a part of it. But the gospel is good news because he brings transformation into our lives and out with the old of who we were and into a new way of living and thinking with who Jesus calls us to be. He gives us a new identity in him. Jesus' emphasis for his followers was not merely the forgiveness of who you were, but also an emphasis on who he's leading you to be. The emphasis on kingdom living. I think to best understand this, if you have your Bible, you can turn with me to John. We'll end up in John 15, but if you look in your, your Bible, you'll see in the final chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is having kind of a, a last conversation with his disciples It's a conversation he's having in the upper room just before he's going to be arrested. Judas has already left to go and betray Jesus. And Jesus begins to have a final things conversation with his disciples. It's much like as a parent, if you're leaving home and you have a teenager at home and you're leaving for an extended period of time and you're leaving them kind of for the first time on their own and you're giving them kind of that that final sheet of this is what I'm looking for, this is what I'm expecting, this is what life needs, this kind of like that expectation of how to ready them for that phase where you're not there. Jesus is kind of having that conversation with his disciples. He's readying them for the coming Holy Spirit, for his death, all of these things. But when you get to John 15, Jesus begins to talk about what abiding and remaining in him looks like. What, when we draw our life from him, what that's intended to look like. And as he's talking about this life in him, this abiding in him and the life that he gives us, if you'll look in verse 18 and 19, look what Jesus says is the result of life anchored in him. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And in our translations, the, we read, it says, if the world hates you, but in the literal translation, it says, since the world hates you. So Jesus says, you have life in me, then expect the world to hate you. 
Since the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now the world, the Bible uses the word world three different ways, at least three different ways in scripture. The first one's talking about the created things, order of things, the physical world that, that God has created. We see this in Genesis 1. The second term that the Bible uses for world is when it uses the word world is like Jesus uses it in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Talks about humanity, the mass of humanity. But the third way that the word world is used, I've already referenced it once earlier in a message. But it's speaking of the, it's all of the term encompassing all of society as a whole that is apart from God and stands opposed to God. It's the entire world system and world order and world way of thinking. I think a good picture to think of this would be if you've ever listened to a sportscaster and he talks about the, he says, as he's cutting to whatever announcement he's going to highlight or ever highlight that he's trying to present, he will say something like, now from the world of sports, now, when he says now from the world of sports, he's not meaning that somewhere in our galaxy that there's a world that everyone who lives there plays sports 24 hours a day. All, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying he's not talking about that. When he's talking about the world of sports, he's referring to all organizations, all people, all plans, all activities, all philosophies, all, everything that's part of sports. Some are visible, some are invisible, but all of them are part of the world of sports. And so when the Bible uses the word world, as Jesus does here in John 15, he's referring to all peoples, all plans, all organizations, all activities, all philosophies, all values that belong to a society without God. The world that he uses is the, world, the word cosmos. It speaks of that whole idea of a world and a mindset that's set against God. John uses this word, records it elsewhere in John chapter two, verse 15. Listen to how John records it this way. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And what Jesus says is that his followers, if they're truly drawing life from him and anchoring their identity in him, then the natural response from the culture and the world around them is to reject them. That they will not fit. That they won't fit in. You won't fit into the ideas. You won't fit into the philosophies. You won't fit into the way of life. You won't fit into the conversations. You won't fit into the thinking. He says because their life and their identity is first and foremost anchored in Jesus. I was recently reminded of a story in the Old Testament that I think serves as a great example to this not fitting in. And the story is found in, the, in Daniel, and, and you might be familiar with the story of Daniel. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are four Hebrew young men, teenagers who were taken at the fall of Jerusalem. They were taken captive by an army of Babylon and taken as, as some of the prized possessions. And they were taken and they were delivered into the king's court. And as they were delivered into the king's court, they were given a certain attire to wear. They were given a certain education for their mind and their thinking that was supposed to happen. And they were given a certain diet that they were supposed to eat. In addition to that, they were given new names. The Babylonian empire gave them all new names. 
One of the things you'll see if you look at Daniel and these three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is they serve as a great example of how to live in the world, but not to be of the world, but rather to keep your lifestyle and your mindset oriented around who God is and his kingdom and his principles. Daniel, speaking for his friends, goes and speaks to the overseer over him. And he says, we'd love to try kind of an experiment. Would you let us not eat what you're eating, but let us eat what we need to be eating? And he lays out this, a number of things and he begins to really live within the confines of Babylon, but now leading to compromise in Babylon. One of the things you'll see that's very significant with Daniel and his three friends, even though they're all given new names, new names that, are, that really rep, that replace the names that they've been given, not only in name, but in meaning, if you look at them, but you'll notice that Daniel and his, his friends never call each other by their Babylonian names. Daniel and his friends only call each other by their given Hebrew names. And I think they do that as a continued reminder to each other that it doesn't matter where we find ourselves, it doesn't matter what culture we're surrounded in, it doesn't matter how much the, the, the spirit of the world tries to come against, we will refuse to come into alignment with the way this world says that we're supposed to live. We refuse to accept the labels that this culture, the Babylonian culture, is going to put on us. Instead, we're going to remember that our identity is first and foremost anchored in the God of heaven, the God who's created all things, not the God of Babylon or the spirit of this world. And one of the things you'll see as you look forward in scripture, and specifically in the book of Revelation, is while Daniel and his friends were taken, captivity, taken into captivity in the city of Babylon, the city of Babylon becomes symbolic as a picture for the spirit of Babylon or the spirit of the world that is what we've already been talking about. And so they give a great reminder to you and to me and really a picture of what we can see in Corinth is the important reminder of keeping our mindset and our focus and our identity anchored in who God has called us to be. I believe they even serve as a great reminder in the importance of renewing our minds and keeping our minds renewed and not coming into alignment or ways that values of this world. But something else I want you to see quickly in, in verse 10, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. I've already been talking about the importance of having our minds renewed, not coming into alignment or being brought into an alignment with the world and its values and everything that it would, and the philosophies of how it tells you that you should live and how it tells you you should be. And Paul highlights the importance and the significance of the mindset and the life of a believer. He says he, he prays that they would be perfectly united in mind and in thought. See, our being in Christ is intended to change our mindset. It's in, intended to renew our minds and to transform our minds. A verse that probably many are familiar with, Romans 12, 2. If you could put Romans 12, 2 up for me. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world or the pattern of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Comes back to the importance of our minds. And so Paul cuts to the, really, and all of the issues they're dealing with, he highlights for Corinth and he highlights for us the importance of number one, keeping our identity anchored in who Jesus is and who we are in him. And secondly, the importance of our mindset and allowing our minds to continually be renewed. A book that I'm currently reading is by Warren Wearsby and it's called The Strategy of Satan. 
And in his book, he walks through and looks at different individuals and in the biblical accounts of their encounters that they had with the devil and really the strategies that he used to try to come against them and to try to lead to their downfall. And he highlights that when it comes to Eve in the opening pages of, of scripture, the way that Satan led her astray and led all of mankind astray was be, he began by attacking her mind. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about that. But he begins by attacking her mind. And Eve was led astray in her mind and in her thinking. And he, once he got her astray in her mind and in her thinking, it led to compromise in her living. See, the enemy will always first start by attacking your mind to trying to distort and twist your mind on what it is that God's saying and to try to distort and twist your mind on the identity of who you are in Jesus. Satan loves to attack your mind because as Warren Wiersbe says, the mind is the part of the image of God where God can best communicate with you and reveal his will to you. It's in your mind, it's in your understanding that God speaks and reveals and leads us to change. And it's in our minds and in our wills that we choose to reject what it is that God's doing or how his spirit is leading. See, the enemy's primary focus is always your mindset. It's always your thinking. Because the enemy knows that if he can lead to distorted thinking in your life, then he can disrupt the blessing and the work of God in your life. That's what we see in Corinth that the blessing of God in their lives as they were as a body of believers was being disrupted because their mindset was focused on people rather than who they were in Christ. That he always loves to distort our mind. And so friends, this morning, one of the things that I'd just love to end with by giving you, there's a number of things that I could, could share with you to apply, but I wanna end by just giving you a number of questions to really assess and examine your life because at the end of the day, the culture we live in will always try to conform you in your thinking and in your living. And the only way that you and I can actively counter that is by being filled with the Spirit of God and letting Him renew our minds on a daily basis. Allowing God by His Word and by His Spirit to renew our minds and to renew our lives on a daily basis. There's one of the things that Paul tells uh, Timothy in, in 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy's a young man that Paul had written to. But Paul tells him to regularly take assessment of his life, to regularly take assessment of his doctrine, of what he's believing, what he's practicing. And I really believe for each one here as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's important that we don't just go week by week by week and church from one service to the next service to the next service or one ministry thing to the next ministry thing, but that we're pausing and taking time to examine our lives and to examine our faith and to make sure that we are aligning with the spirit of God and not with the spirit of the world. So here's some questions I would love to end with for some examination just to share with you that I have eight of them. Um, and I would encourage you, you can write them down. They're gonna be on screen. But first one, what are the dominant influences on my mind? What are the dominant influences on my mind? Think about the people that you allow to influence your life. Think about the media. Think about the entertainment. Think about cultural avenues. What are those key influencers on your mind? Secondly, what is your current exposure, level of exposure to God's word? What is your current level of exposure to God's word? See, it's one thing to assess and recognize ways that our culture has, has, can flow in and shape our lives, but if we're not replacing that by allowing the spirit of God through his word to come and shape our lives, then really we're in the same place. Number three, what is my current level of, of obedience to God's word? 
The intent is not just to know scripture, but to close the gap from knowing to applying. What is your current level of obedience to God's word? Number four, when I am tempted or facing decisions, do I find myself thinking towards scripture and God's wisdom, or am I looking for someone else to give me advice? Really, where we run with, this question, with the answer to this question reveals a lot about what is influencing us and what is controlling us and what is shaping us. What philosophies or mindsets are shaping us? Our first response should always be towards God's word, his wisdom, his ways. Number five, what is my current level of discord with regard to the world around me? Jesus says if you're his follower that you will not fit with the world around you that you live in discord with the world. What is your level of discord in regard to the world around you? Number six, what is my, level, my current level of discord with the world in the privacy of my own home? When you look around your house and you look around the media influences and all the things that you allow to flow in and all of the, the avenues that desire to speak and shape your mind from the youngest child up to the oldest adult in the house, what is the level of discord with, with between you and the world and the messages of the world? Number seven, what is the current level of discord with the world within my own heart? It's one thing to see it in the culture. It's another thing to see it in our own home. It's another level to take inventory inside and ask God, what's happening in my heart? Is my heart grieved when I see things in our culture, things that are not consistent with your word, both with human sexuality and human design and, and the truth of God's word and the authority of scripture? When I look at it in, in light of our culture, what's happening in my own heart? And then lastly, number eight, when those in the world, those without Christ, look at my life, are they reminded of him? Jesus said in John 15 with his disciples, not only do they draw life from him, not only do they not fit with the world, says the world will hate them, but he says the reason the world will hate them is not because they, of how they present the truth, but rather because they remind the world of him. They remind the world of what Jesus said and they remind the world of who Jesus is and what he does, that their life is a living mark or a living remembrance of who Jesus is. And friends, for us, any progress forward begins with an honest assessment of where we are currently at in our own hearts and in our own lives and coming to alignment with his spirit, with who, the identity that Jesus has called us to live with and with a renewed frame of mind and a new way of thinking. And so with that, I wanna invite you to stand with me this morning, friends. Can I just invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, we recognize that by your spirit, you've set us apart to be different. You've set us apart to be different in our mindset. You've set us to be apart to be different in our living. You've set us apart to be different in our speech. You've set us apart to be different in who we are. God, I invite you by your spirit right now to do a, a searching and a working in us and begin to highlight and reveal in us individually, God, things that are not consistent with who you've called us to be.
Could we invite you by your spirit to search us and to show us, to bring us into greater alignment with you? Friends, earlier during our time of worship, one of the scriptures that Pastor Melvin shared out of, as he talked about being a holy people, a chosen people, set apart as God's special possession for him. And then he talked about that, that holiness and recognizing that holiness. And he talked about taking your, your shoes off and referencing Moses when he was in the presence of God. And I really think that there's something in that when we, that, that taking his shoes off, and again, not meaning necessarily kick your shoes off, but taking his shoes off was, he was willing to give up something that made him comfortable. He was willing to set aside those things that maybe were a bit more comfortable so that he could truly focus and embrace the holiness of who God is. And I just want to open the front this morning as a place of response of our hearts and our lives before God. Perhaps in the questions that I've shared or perhaps even as I've spoken or even now as we've prayed, that I believe that for many, just across the room, there's in the hearts and in lives things that God's just putting his finger on by his spirit and highlighting. Things that he wants to work in in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And we do need to make space and invite him by his spirit to work. And so I just encourage you, I've, I've asked the, the uh, worship team, Pastor Melvin, not really even just to play in any specific song, but just to, to give us time just to focus in on him. And so without having a specific song that's pulling us or emotion that's leading us, I just wanna open, no one's looking around, but just open the front for all who'd love to come, find a place of prayer, a place of, of opening our hearts, to lives, our, our hearts and our lives to God and saying, God, I present myself to you. Lord, I, I wanna walk in a greater alignment with you. Lord, I realize there are things in my heart and in my life from this world, from this culture that, that pull me and distract me from you. I realize that there are things, God, that are not consistent with the holy nature of who you've called me to be, who you've set me apart to be. Friends, I believe God by your spirit right now is working in hearts and lives and I encourage you, don't, don't care about who, who's looking, don't care about who you have to step across. Just find space, find the courage to come, find a place of prayer and I just wanna pray for each one in just a few minutes, but let's just take a minute and respond.